The following is message number four of the Southeast Blending Conference, held in Jacksonville, Florida, on the morning of September 4th, 2011. The title of the message is Being Built Up in the Church as the City of God, Part 1, Honoring the Unique Headship of Christ. And the speaker is Brother Ron Kangas. When a child is born, now he or she is an infant. Maybe the child's born in a hospital or at home or in a birth center. Eventually, this little infant is brought home. There has never been a case where once this little one is brought home, he or she can say, Hi, Dad. Hi, Mom. I'm glad to be part of this family. And uh, I appreciate being born in this city and in this state and in this country. That is impossible. The child does not have yet any realization where she is. But as the child grows, the child recognizes the primary persons. This is mommy. This is daddy. And if there are older siblings, this is my brother. This is my sister. So the child realizes that she is part of a family. Then, as the child grows, she realizes this family exists in a community in a city, and in, 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 in a bigger area called a state and a country. And now the child may understand, I'm part of this. So I go to school, the law requires I go to school, I have friends, I learn to obey laws. I begin this way because in the spiritual life, our gradual realization is similar. It may not be as gradual as a child's consciousness is. But it may take us some time before we realize where we are. When we believed and were baptized, we entered a realm. We entered the family of God. And that we have millions of spiritual siblings. And also, we are in the kingdom of God. If we don't realize where we are, then we will not live properly and normally where we are. We can't change where we are. If a believer doesn't realize that he is part of the household of God, the family of God, 
he made him understand that I'm a brother among brothers. And the church is God's dwelling place. But when we become conscious of what the church is and where we are, the life in us will spontaneously cause us to live in a certain way. But even someone as noble as Timothy needed to be instructed by his spiritual father how to conduct himself in the church of God, in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. The first part of our general subject is on living in the church as the house of God. Our knowing the church depends on our knowing Christ. In Matthew 16, the Lord did not first speak of the church. He opened the way for the Father to reveal himself. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. As the Christ, you have a mission to accomplish, a commission to carry out. Then the Lord said, upon this revelation, I will build my church. Christ himself is the dwelling place of God. Both the tabernacle and the testament typify Christ. In the Gospel of John, the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. In order to tabernacle, you have to be a tabernacle. And we know from the next chapter that he himself was the temple. When Christ as life is enlarged by spreading into us, we become what he is. So he is the house. Now he enters into us as life, and this life grows in us, making us corporately what Christ is personally. I hope we can see this. This is how the church is built. It is built by Christ as life, spreading in us, saturating us, permeating us, filling us. And the reason, then, that saints temporarily are not buildable is that the life in them is not growing. The principle is the same with the kingdom. We know from Luke 17 that Christ himself is the kingdom. The religious ones were questioning him 
about the kingdom, he said, the kingdom of God does not come with your observation. The kingdom of God is in your midst. Well, who was in their midst? It was our Lord himself. He is not only the king. He is the kingdom. What does this mean? Well, it means here is a man, the God-man on earth, in whom God has the liberty to flow without hindrance. There is nothing closed in his being to the river of God. There's no resistance. He was a man absolutely under God's authority. Remember the centurion who asked the Lord to heal his servant said to him, I also am a man under authority. Some simply cannot recognize this in others because they themselves are not under authority. So the Lord himself, in his inner being, was a realm in which God the Father could freely live and move. And whatever the Father willed, the Son did. Whatever the Father spoke, the Son spoke. The Son did the Father's work. He sought the Father's glory. He did nothing out from himself. So he, in his person, is the kingdom of God. When Christ is enlarged, with his administration by spreading himself into us we become what he is as the kingdom of God. From the point of view of life this is how God establishes the kingdom. In manifestation, when the Lord comes, he will establish the kingdom with authority. But in this age, he establishes the kingdom by sowing the kingdom as a seed into us. Then as this seed grows in us, Christ with his administration, increases in us, and then gradually, in our being, we become a realm where God can do whatever he wants. And that we do not do anything that God does not want. 
And we do not do anything out from ourselves. In the Old Testament, there was the temple, the house of God, signifying Christ and the church as the dwelling place of God. Surrounding the temple was the city of Jerusalem with the wall. In the Bible, a city very often signifies a kingdom. So Jerusalem, the city with the wall, is the kingdom. Both the house and the city were devastated and destroyed under Nebuchadnezzar. Then there was the recovery to fulfill the prophecy of Jeremiah. And the first wave of the returned ones rebuilt the house. And this was a great thing. The dwelling place of God in type was recovered. But where there is no city, the house has no protection, no safeguard. The city surrounding the house is the safeguard and the protection of his dwelling place and of his interests on earth. This picture in Ezra and Nehemiah is very important to us in the Lord's recovery. I would recommend that little book to you, The Recovery of God's House and God's City. The reason this is important is that the history of Israel typifies the history of the church, including the Babylonian captivity with all the divisions. The recovery of the house and of the city typifies two aspects of the recovery of the church. First of the house, the dwelling place of God, then of the city, the kingdom of God. You may recall that when message eight was presented in the summer training, there was a particular burden on the churches in the Lord's recovery being strengthened, being enlarged to be the kingdom. Then the question was asked, where is the city? Where is the church as the city? On September 25th, 21 days, uh, 
21 days from now, there will be a glorious meeting in Tallahassee, Florida. And there will be the Lord's table meeting as the declaration that the church of God has been established in Tallahassee. And there will be 40-some saints living there to be the church there. And they will be the house. Some brothers and sisters in Tallahassee and especially elsewhere need to realize this house is vulnerable. This house needs protection. And that new church cannot suddenly become the kingdom in strength in one week. But because we are in one body, we would exercise oversight and care over this baby church especially to exercise the kingdom. God's house, the church, or the church as God's house, needs to become the kingdom as a realm protecting the house, And this realm safeguards, protects the church for God's administration. Now God can carry out his administration through the church for his economy. The basic thought as we're turning now in our general subject is that the church is not only the house, it's the kingdom. And to be in the church is to be in the kingdom of God. Whether we know it or not, I am very thankful for the human father that God gave me, for the way he cared for me and taught me so many crucial things about being a man. And he taught me to drive. He himself was a good driver and he was a good instructor. And he reminded me, ignorance of the law is no excuse. If you break the law, you cannot tell the officer, I didn't know. It's probably true you didn't know, but it's not an excuse. If you would visit other countries and you grossly violate the law, it's pointless to say it's not like this in Florida. I didn't know. That's true, you didn't know. 
But that does not exempt you from needing to live according to the principles operating in this realm. So whether we know it or not, or like it or not, we have been born into the kingdom of God. And we cannot actually pick and choose what aspects of the church we will respect. Oh, I like the family. It's so cozy and loving, enjoyable. The kingdom, I, I don't want that. I'm an American. Our country was established on this principle of no king. Well, sooner or later, you will have inward difficulties because you're contradicting your being and probably problems in relationships and problems in the church. Mainly because we don't realize that we're in the kingdom. Now, saying that the church is the kingdom is not our guess. In Matthew 16, when the Lord said, I will build my church, he went on to say, I give to you the keys of the kingdom of the heavens. In Romans 14, 17, where Paul is speaking about the church life, he says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Well, that kingdom of God is the church. And if you are living the kingdom life in the church, there will be these three matters. There will be righteousness. You yourself will have the surpassing righteousness. And then there will be peace. Many of us stop here. But Paul does not stop here. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Actually, the joy in the kingdom is much higher than the joy in the house. In Matthew 25, when the Lord appraises the faithful slaves, he doesn't say, enter into my kingdom, although they were, they will do that. He says, enter into the joy of your master. The highest enjoyment is to live the kingdom life. Now the divine life in Christ is flowing in us in full 
And the more we live this way, the happier we are. Somewhere, Brother Nee tells this story. That he was having fellowship with some dear saints who were farmers. If you've ever been to that part of the world, the rice fields are in terraces. One level above another. And the terraces, the fields belonging to these brothers, were, were high. So they would irrigate their rice fields. And then at night, those who worked rice fields on a lower level would break the barrier and drain the water to their fields. They stole the water. Let them irrigate during the day while they're sleeping. We'll just create a gap and the water will flow down to our fields. And the brothers didn't like that. That was plain wrong. That's theft. That's unrighteous. Of course, they're fellowshipping with Brother Nee. And they might have expected, as we often expect, that the brothers will endorse my righteous indignation. And then Brother Nee said something like this. If you only care for righteousness, you're far below the standard. This is what I advise you to do. Open a gap in the the fields, and you pump water that will drain down first to the rice fields below you. <clears throat> and then you fill your own fields. And they were so happy to do that. This was the requirement of the kingdom life. Don't file a lawsuit. Don't call 911 for law enforcement, backup, whatever. Don't confront them. Do what human beings would consider unnecessary, unreasonable. Give them water. Give them water first. So they did it, and they were full of joy. And those who had been stealing the water, now were receiving water as a gift, were deeply impressed. And they came to the brothers and said, we want to hear about Christ. Amen. This is joy. It's much higher, much higher than the joy in the house, although the joy in the house is sweet. Then another evidence that the church is the kingdom is in Revelation. And here is this very elderly apostle, probably about 90, on the island of Patmos. And in Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, he refers to Christ, he said, who has made us a kingdom. And in chapter 5, verse 9, 
He says we have been redeemed from all parts of the earth and we have been made a kingdom. But I'm especially impressed with his word in chapter 1, verse 9. He said, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and in the kingdom and in the endurance in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Often, when we are on an island of Patmos, we are out of the kingdom. The environment is so unpleasant. The name Patmos I read somewhere, means my killing. It was not a pretty place. But John said, I, John, your brother. Not I, John, the remaining apostle of the original 12. Let me remind you. I, John, your brother, was on Patmos, and I'm in the kingdom. And I'm not alone. I am your fellow partaker in three things. In the tribulation. In the kingdom. And in Jesus. He doesn't say in Christ. That would have a different significance here. To say in Jesus means in the suffering and sorrowing Lord. So he is in the kingdom, although he's separated from everyone and everything. So it's clear from the teaching of the New Testament that the church in practicality, is the kingdom of God today. Okay, we need to establish this matter in the beginning. Now, when I repeatedly use the expression, the kingdom, the kingdom of God, what comes to mind? What, what are you thinking uh, to be in a kingdom, wh wh what do you suppose that is like? It's understandable that our thought would be, well, there has to be a king. Uh, this is not a democracy. Uh, there is a king, and he must have supreme authority. And so now, I am doomed to live under this authority. Probably, I can hardly breathe. I've got to ask permission for anything, for everything. Well, this is the natural human concept. 
And this is the way worldly kingdoms operate. But the emphasis in the New Testament is very different. I give you two instances. And if these would impress you, I believe you would be comforted, even encouraged to want to know the church as the kingdom. In Mark chapter 8, the Lord told the disciples, there are some of you standing here who will not die until you see the kingdom of God coming in power. Then what immediately follows is that the Lord Jesus takes three of the apostles, Peter, James, and John, and goes up this mountain, probably Mount Hermon. And they're at the top of this mountain, and the Lord begins to glow. He is transfigured. Matthew's account says his face is shining like the sun. And his garments are indescribably white. This is Jesus shining over them. We need to put that together with the Lord's word you shall see the kingdom of God coming in power. The natural concept of that is we will not die until our Lord the Messiah returns with power and glory to overthrow the Roman Empire and reestablish the kingdom of Israel in righteousness. But that is not the divine thought. You will see the kingdom of God coming in power. Then what did they see? They saw Jesus shining like the sun. That is the kingdom in our present experience. So the kingdom of God is Jesus shining over you. To live in the kingdom of God is to live under the shining of this transfigured Lord Jesus. So let's take a hypothetical illustration which for many is not hypothetical at all. You are alone in your room with a computer and a mouse. Not Mickey, a mouse. And you are computer savvy. And you know if you go to Google, in a few clicks, you can be anywhere. 
and you can access anything and see and hear anything. Now, uh, nobody knows. Even you got a system, and the door is locked. If your parents come in, you, you know how to handle that, to darken the screen and to close it down. Uh, you're prepared. So the only ones who know are your angel, the demons, and God. And here you are. Let's suppose you're clicking away and you're at a certain site and then Jesus shines over you. I believe it's a matter of time. You will leave that place. No one is there threatening you, terrifying you. No one is saying, you're sinning unto death. This is terrible. I'm not minimizing the seriousness of any kind of sin. I am trying to convey how the kingdom operates. So the Lord comes and shines. He just shines over you. You don't want him to shine right now. But he's the king. He does what he wills. So he shines. And because you do love him, and because he is in you, and because you have a spirit that is life, and because you have the divine life in you, eventually you turn and you apologize and you repent. A husband and wife exchanging words. And when they're in the heat of this exchange, they're not conscious that the little children in a room nearby hear everything and are frightened. Just frightened. And then Jesus shines, at least on one of them. Perhaps the one who is most responsive and then the husband or the wife realizes, let's stop this. I, I, I don't care. I don't want to win an argument. I want to return to the Lord. I, I have nothing to say. Actually, forgive me for the last 15 minutes. Doesn't this sound pleasant? This is not uh, the dictator's private police knocking on your door at 2 a.m. to drag you away. That's the satanic kingdom. The kingdom of God is Jesus shining. And what a pleasant light that is. Then in Colossians chapter 1, Paul tells us 
God has transferred us out of the authority of darkness. He has delivered us out of the authority of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. He doesn't say just the kingdom. Like, okay, I'm not under the authority of darkness. Now I'm under another authority. What a choice. He says it's the kingdom of the Son of God's love. The intrinsic element here is an atmosphere permeated by the Father's love for His own Son and His delight in Him. So this is a realm full of love, life, and light. And because you are a son of God in the Son, the Father's love for the Son now extends to you. And the kingdom for you is this delightful realm where you don't sense the exercise of authority, but the combination of love, life, and light enables you, even motivates you, to obey the Lord. That's the kingdom. To live today in the church as the city of God that is, the kingdom of God, is to live here. Paul does say in Hebrews to obey the leading ones. Well, for us to obey means that someone either represents authority or has authority, But we need to understand this in the entire context of the New Testament. That all authority in heaven and on earth is given to the resurrected Christ. And that no one else has authority in himself. Only the resurrected Christ. But some are channels through whom this authority flows, like the river flowing from the throne, or who represent Christ with his authority to you. They themselves do not exercise authority over the saints. Matthew 20 forbids this the exercise of authority. You look, those words are there. It shall not be so among you. But the real situation is all authority in heaven and on earth is given to the resurrected and ascended Christ and he exercises this authority over us by flowing as a river 
by shining as this pleasant light. He does it in a realm, a delightful realm of love, life, and light. Are you beginning to sense that the enjoyment of the triune God here is higher than the house? So we don't go from enjoying God in the house to a life of suppression under the iron rod. Sadly, and we'll comment on this briefly in a little while, some brothers who basically have a Christless church life conduct themselves this way. That happens. Our heart aches, but sometimes it happens. We'll address that a little later. But a normal situation is where the responsible brothers or the elders themselves, as the leading ones, take the lead to live in the kingdom under the shining, the radiant shining of Jesus. Take the lead to live in the kingdom of the Son of God's love. And it's here and from here they serve the church. And the brothers and sisters, in their spirit, they recognize this is where the brothers are. We'd like to be the same. They're not lording it over us. Actually, they are a wall around us. Don't you need a wall protecting you? Don't your children need a wall protecting them? And so these elders, these responsible ones, take the lead like Nehemiah did to build up the wall, to build up the city. And now we're learning to live here. Probably in the last message, we will consider a footnote on the kingdom life, which says something like this, that the Lord's word here functions to open up to us our inner being so that we may realize we have the divine life in us. And this life, the highest life, as it flows, fulfills the highest requirements. So referring to the Rice Terrace incident for a moment, our natural life wants to get even. We pray for God to judge. By the way, anticipating message six, you judge even you pray for judgment, you are thereby placing yourselves under the same judgment. It's a hideous and horrible teaching. And I heard about someone who has received it that 
we should judge and we should execute judgment on others. Well, if we're under the shining of Jesus, we will sense a requirement. Brothers, I feel we should pump enough water to irrigate all the fields below us. And then, we'll, last, we'll pump water to irrigate our own. And how do you know that you should do that? Well, they had Brother Need to help them. Eventually, we don't have or don't need outward help. The kingdom within us, the king within us says, this is what I want you to do. And when you do it, you're just leaping and skipping and praising the Lord. Because you are living out the kingdom life. Now you have joy in the Holy Spirit. There is a kind of joy, of course, we touched this last night, of being in the Father's house. But it's a quantum leap, does that mean it's a major step upward? To have joy in the Holy Spirit. So let me set forth this kind of guiding principle. Not to condemn us, but to enlighten us. If we do not have joy, we are not living in the reality of the kingdom of God. Don't stop with peace. It's really good to have peace. Yes, you have peace, but you're not happy. Why are you not happy? Why do you have no joy? Don't you realize the factor of joylessness is yourself? It's something in you. If you would allow the Lord to shine on that and to flow there and to remove that factor, you will have joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not like you psychologically are joyful. There may be no reason to be psychologically joyful when the apostles were beaten in Acts 5, they were full of joy that they were counted worthy to suffer on behalf of the name. What about Paul and Silas, beaten with rods, then thrown into prison? They're not there considering, oh, life is absurd, it's meaningless. I, we never should have left on this trip. They are praising and singing hymns. That's not because they were in the mood for singing. That's why I know this is just a kind of humorous remark, but I expressed to Brother Dick Taylor one time, if I'm ever imprisoned for the gospel's sake, 
I hope you are my cellmate. <laughs> that I will need you to help me enjoy the Lord. Because I know you're going to be looking around and you will see the numbers 505 and you'll say, there's a man in the glory. <laughs> then you'll see 608 and you'll sing, the triune God has now become my all. Well, for Brother Nee to say, I maintain my joy means that for 20 years, although he was on his island of Patmos, he was in the kingdom. In the endurance and in Jesus. Outwardly, that was the situation, that prison camp. Inwardly, he was in the kingdom. Yes, the tribulation is there. But that's where he lived. I believe the Lord on the throne could speak to the principalities and powers and to the enemy and say, look, do you see what I see in Anway province? Do you see that man, that sickly man? In that situation... Too weak even to go to the kitchen to get his meals? He is enjoying me in the midst of that situation. Satan, you lose. And you know what's been happening during those 20 years? Although our brother, my brother, doesn't know this. His ministry has been flowing all over the earth. Amen. And eventually, there will be thousands and thousands of believers who live the same way. Amen. So I hope now that we can read through this outline in 25 minutes or so to be in a healthy frame of mind, uh, in a positive frame of mind. Being built up in the church as the city of God, honoring the unique headship of Christ. And I believe the constant repetition of the expression headship of Christ will have the accumulative effect of impressing us Christ is the unique head in the church. Unique. That means one and only. So no co-worker is the head. No elder or leading brother is the head. A worker or a leading one who acts as if he's the head is dishonoring the unique headship of Christ. I emphasize, I repeat, the Lord himself said, 
all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, to a man. The head of the universe is Jesus, the God-man. Prior to his incarnation, human living, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, God as God was the head. But God's economy requires that a man be the head so that man as a creature can deal with the rebel creature in the universe. One of the greatest hymns ever written is 132. Lo, in heaven, Jesus sitting, as the man by God exalted, and God made him the head over all things to the church. We read Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body, the church. A two-headed body would be monstrous. The body has one head, and that head was not Peter. No matter what Catholicism has done, it was not John, it was not Paul, it was not Luther, it was not Calvin, it was not Darby, it was not Andrew Murray, it was not Brother Nee, it was not Brother Lee, it's not you, it's not me, it's not we, it is Him. Jesus is Lord. He is the head of the body. He is the head over all things to the church. In Him, God is heading up all things. And every one of us needs to learn to honor the unique headship of Christ and not to seek help from others in a way that dishonors the Lord's head, the Lord's headship. I don't know physiology, but I think I'm accurate here that there is this nervous system in our body. And through the nervous system, the brain, we'll call it the head, directs every member without consulting with other members. So the head decides, I should raise my right arm like this and lift my thumb like this. It has the full right to do so. And there doesn't have to be a meeting of the right side of my body, of my shoulder, my arm, my elbow, my wrist, or whatever, to discuss this. Should the thumb go like this, the head directs it. 
Of course the members move in fellowship. Of course they move as part of the body. But our point now is, every one of us has direct access to the head. Every one of us. If you got saved yesterday, and you're born of God, you may hardly understand anything, but by calling on the Lord, by praying, you can touch Him directly. Amen. And you send us texts. Don't send me a tweet, it won't go anywhere. I don't tweet. I'm not a bird, I don't tweet. Whether I'll, whether I'll go in that direction, I don't know. You can send me a text, you can send me an email, you can call me, you can fellowship with me. And I'm the same as all the other brothers. We'll listen and then point you to the head. I'm not the head. How can I tell you whether you should do this or not? I will not recruit young people for the full-time training. You have a head. I hope you realize this. I hope your parents realize this. I hope they don't insult Christ's headship. You just contact him. Then follow his direction. When this happens, the kingdom is here. Now we read, if we honor the unique headship of Christ, then in the Lord's recovery, the church as the enlargement of Christ will be not only the house of God, but also the city of God. The church as the house is mainly with Christ as life. And the church as the city is mainly with Christ as the head. When we experience and enjoy Christ as life, we have the church as the house. We've had some experience of this during this weekend. When we realize the unique headship of Christ, the church will be enlarged as the city, which signifies the kingdom of God. So the headship of Christ is established, but we need to realize this. The church as the city is built not only with Christ as life, but also with the headship of Christ. Thus Christ must be not only our life, but also our head. Not only our enjoyment, but also our authority. Colossians 3, 4, Christ our life. 1, 18, he is the head. 2, 19, we hold the head and we grow with the growth of God. And this, for many of us, will require a touching with our particular brand of culture in the USA 
uh, which doesn't have much regard for authority. Other cultures have a different view and hence a different problem. But our problem generally is we just are not fond of authority. Like I said, no king. Then the founders have to kind of figure out a system where there's this president, but he's not a king. The balance of powers is woven into the Constitution. Well, we are now in the kingdom of God. And actually, if you read a certain portion in Isaiah, Christ is the legislative, executive, and judicial, and the judicial branch of God's government. So the person makes the law, interprets the law, and enforces the law, and we need to realize this. And how to help someone realize this? I don't know. Some ministry may help, but eventually it has to be in your personal life with the Lord. Now I illustrate. But sisters, I ask you, please don't be self-conscious about Either side on this, you may fall. Okay. I would find it religious and oppressive if the brothers taking the lead would demand that the sisters wear a sizable head covering. That is the oppressiveness of religion. We don't want our dear sisters to suffer under that that is for sure. They're fellow members of the body of Christ. They should not have to be pressed down like that. Yet, if I were a sister, loving the Lord, pursuing the Lord, and then enlightened by the Lord concerning his headship, and concerning the problem of rebellion in the universe, I would like to bear a sign to the angels that I am under Christ's headship. So I will cover my head, not with a little thing like this. That's a spot on your head. I'm not saying it has to be a tablecloth. I visited a certain part of the earth and I saw virtual tablecloths. This was a brother's teaching. It's got to be this big thing like a sheet. And so I would much rather wait on the dear saints, the dear sisters, to realize something then if the divine life moves in them and they have this sense, then they do it. 
This is the real thing. It's not someone at the door doing a head covering check. That is oppressive, tyrannical religion. That's not the kingdom. For the church as the city, our will must be exercised, renewed, and transformed so that it will be subdued under the unique headship of Christ. Okay, regarding living under the headship, there are two main problems. And the first one, mainly it's with brothers, really scares me. And that is, they have no fear of their own mind. No fear. They recklessly, wantonly speak their mind. And with some brothers you sense that's not just human. Their mind is a fortress. It's a fortification, armed. And they have no realization that the enemy has access to your mind, which you trust. Then one is like Peter in Matthew 16. And his mind was one with Satan and tried to interfere with the Lord's going to the cross for redemption. But I know you cannot help a brother who just revels in his mind in this way with supreme confidence. He'll just reason with you. He'll have an answer for everything. And there's no way such a brother can live in the kingdom of God. No way. His mind is rebellion itself. His reasonings, his thoughts. You look at 2 Corinthians 10, Paul's warfare. The weapons of his warfare were powerful through God, through the overthrowing of strongholds, tearing down every high thing, rising up against the knowledge of God. That's where the battle is. And then the will, the strong will. We know from Isaiah 14, the rebellion in the universe began with an angelic creature saying again and again, I will, I will exalt my throne. But in Song of Songs, as part of the divine romance, the seeker's will is subdued, signified by the neck and by the hair. And it's not subdued by superior force. It's subdued by the wonderful love of the beloved, causing her to be subdued. 
how do you react to this word subdued? You know, sometimes, sisters, your husband is so strong, so strong, so you are defeated outwardly, but you know inwardly you are not subdued. I don't want to defeat my wife ever again by using intelligence, by using words. What is beautiful is to see her subdued even as I need to be subdued. That's an inward state. That doesn't make you a doormat. People walk all over you. It means toward the Lord, there's no resistance toward Him. No resistance. We need to see that a local church is an expression of the body of Christ, that the body is under the headship of Christ, and that we all must be under the authority of Christ. If we see this and honor the unique headship of Christ, the church will be enlarged from the house to the city for the king and his kingdom. So the leading ones after this conference, next Lord's Day, should not stand up and exhort the saints. Uh, you need to be under the unique headship of Christ. But I expect such a thing will take place in Church X, which really exists in North America. This church really exists. And in that church there are leading ones, and among the leading ones, there's the king. This is the mindset of this person. You ask me to serve, that means you ask me to be the boss. So I will scold in the meetings, even on the Lord's Day. I will scold, I will rebuke. I will cut people off in their speaking. I will correct their speaking. Because I'm the man. This brother needs to be warned. Every time you do this, you add to the pile of debt between you and the Lord. You yourself are not in the kingdom. The effect of this is to oppress the saints. And I believe we are entering into a period where the Lord will no longer tolerate this kind of thing in any local church. Just be a brother taking the lead. And to take the lead in this matter is to take the lead to be subdued. To take the lead to be under the headship of Christ. To take the lead to be under the shining of Jesus to take the lead to live in the kingdom of the Son of God's love, you just live here. Let the Lord make you this kind of person. Then you will speak without presumption as a brother, and everyone will respect the Christ that is in you. And they will obey that Christ. I could almost cry over this. 
weep before you. When will it ever stop? Will we ever reach the point there is no more diatrophies in any local church? Anyway, when that kind of situation is manifested, some will appeal to the head. They will not rebel. They will not argue. But they have direct access to the head and say, Lord, look upon this situation. This is your church. We have to tell you, we do not agree with this. This is usurpation. We do not agree with this. We will not presume to touch anything. We ask you, in your administration, this is your kingdom, exercise your authority to care for the church, in the best way. And in the last few years, we have seen this brother quarantined. A warning concerning this person. This situation dealt with. There is only one king in the kingdom of God, and it's not any brother. And it's not any co-worker. How do the apostles regard themselves? The answer is in 1 Corinthians 4. Paul said, we are the scum. We are the offscouring. We are put on display as the last act in the Colosseum. You reign as kings. Paul tells you reign as kings. We're just trash. The world will come and just heap all of the refuse upon anyone who is an ambassador. Let it be. He is the king. He is the head. If this is what it's required to represent him and minister to him, amen. Because while that is going on outwardly, we are ecstatically joyful inwardly. The order of the church as the city of God comes out of the authority of the church, the unique headship of Christ. The head of the church is Christ the Lord, and the authority in the church is the headship of Christ. In the church there must be order. That's right. But this order comes from the headship of Christ. Not from your imposing your kind of order on the situation. We can have the church as the city of God only by submitting to the unique headship of Christ. The order in the church as the city of God comes from the headship of Christ being realized by us in a practical way way. If it just remains a fact, objectively, there won't be any change. But when it's realized, if, this, if the brother in church X, which could be anywhere, if he realized this, there would be a profound repentance. 
before the Lord. I believe lasting days. The Lord might bring to mind instance after instance. Now it's in the hundreds, brother. Instance after instance. And ray upon ray of light comes. And he is subdued. And then the Lord might direct him to stand up before the church and the church saints may say, here we go again. But then he might say, what I will say now, you've never heard me say before. Jesus is Lord. Christ is the head of the church. And I have repented before him for dishonoring his headship. And now I repent to the church for wrongly exercising authority. Please forgive me. Then the mercy comes. Probably that church would be revived. If we try to have the church as the city, the kingdom of God, without realizing the unique headship of Christ, we may meet together, but we will not have the reality of the church as the city of God. So some brothers might hear this and say, yeah, let's do this. Let's arrange the church to be the city. You won't have the reality. And certain saints with their discernment will know it. But if they express their concern, you'll call them rebels. Because anyone who questions you, even properly, is labeled as a rebel. So you got this rebel stamp. But reality is its own authentication. It doesn't have to argue on its behalf. It just is. And saints sense it. The spiritual order in the church as the city of God comes only from the headship of Christ being realized by us in a practical way. Without this, there is no possibility for us to be built up in the church as the city of God. In order to be built up in the church as the city of God, we need to realize that the church life is a life of being headed up under the unique headship of Christ. Ephesians 4.15, growing up into the head in all things. This is a gradual matter. God is heading up his chosen ones to be the body of Christ, with Christ as the head. The first step in the heading up of all things in Christ is for God to place his sons under the unique headship of Christ. When the church takes the lead to be headed up under the headship of Christ, God has a way to head up all other things. In the proper church life, we are being headed up in Christ. The church as the city, the kingdom of God, is the heading up of God's chosen ones under the headship of Christ. So there may be an unruly brother 
in the mind, like I illustrated, in the will, but the responsible ones, and maybe some sisters properly praying in secret, they pray. Lord, exercise your unique headship over this brother's mind, over his strong will. Lord, we will not use any authority or power. We call on you. We're not going to sit here wringing our hands and do nothing. We have the keys of the kingdom of the heavens. And we can bind what the heavens have bound and loose what the heavens have loosed. And we will learn to pray the prayers of the city of God. We're not just going to sit here anymore and weep and moan as if there's nothing we can do. We can do the highest thing. We can pray the prayer of the age under the headship of Christ. But in order to pray like this, we ourselves must be under that headship. So in the proper church life, we were being headed up in Christ. It is the heading up of God's chosen ones. If we do not know what it is to be headed up in Christ, we cannot know the church. So brothers, you may not know the church as much as you think. You were asked in fellowship, please share along a certain line. But when you speak, you give your own speech on another line. Why? Because you are your own head. You are a headless person. So your speaking is lawless. If we are really headed up, the Lord will eventually extend this headship to every word we speak. So I was in the restaurant, just had a brief conversation with the, the lady serving us, just a few words, and immediately I said, what a stupid remark. What wasted words to say that. The head comes in right away. We will give an account of every idle word. Then what should we do? Put duct tape on our mouth? No one to say anything? That is self-improvement. We need to enjoy the king more, love him more, realize his headship more, we will gradually be headed up. In the church life, we are taking the lead to be headed up in Christ. For this, we need to grow up into the head Christ in all things. <clears throat> so the brothers can't announce next Lord's Day. <clears throat> From now on, we will all be headed up in Christ. When the brother is saying that, he himself is not headed up in Christ. We will grow into this. And growth takes time. And because it takes time, someone needs Christ as forbearance. 
and needs Christ as love to bear others in love while we are all growing. A dictator, he would solve the problem overnight. But God's way is life, and he'll solve the problem by the growth in life. The heading up in the church life is by life and light. In order to be headed up in a practical way, we need to grow in life. The more we grow in life, the more we will be headed up. When God comes into us as life, the light of life shines within us. This is Jesus shining within us. If Jesus is not shining within you, brother, then why do I think I can subdue you with a word? I'm not interested in reasoning with you. You need to realize the headship of Christ yourself. You think, oh, the problem is with my wife. She's rebellious. The problem is with my children. They're lawless. You're saying that proves the problem is with you. But you don't realize it, and I know my words can't convince you, so I won't try. But one day, it will be a great day when you will realize who is the head in the church as the body of Christ. Then the light will shine in you and life will flow in you, and you will be headed up. When we are full of Christ as life, we are under the light and are controlled by the power of light. There is strict control in the church as the city of God, the kingdom of God. It's light. The shining of light directs us, and this light is pleasant. Oh, what a way to live. And you let the light rule you, and you're just full of joy in the Holy Spirit. And thus we are headed up to be the church as the city, the kingdom of God. So we need to realize that Christ is the head. We need to understand what the church as the kingdom of God is really like. Jesus shining the kingdom of the Son of God's love, then in love we need to open ourselves to the shining of light and the flowing of life so that we will grow up into the head in all things. As this happens, then the churches, which are mainly now the house, will be enlarged, will be strengthened to be the city and then the church as the city of God will be one with the ascended head to pray the prayers of authority, to fight the spiritual warfare, and to bring the Lord back in glory. This is our function as the city of God to pave the way for the King to come and possess the earth. Let's take a minute to pray in response to this. Then we need some sharing. In principle, 30 seconds each. 
if you have an anointing to go beyond that, we will know. But the second time you hear the piano, understand that as the voice of God. Okay? So let's pray and then prophesy.